You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Agony Aunt podcast. Keeping it real, telling the story like it is, because there are no mistakes that somebody else hasn't already made. Hello, I'm Vicki Brock, and you're listening to the Entrepreneur Agony Aunt podcast. My guest this week is Wendy Lee, CEO of Centrifuge, a public-private partnership designed to build a tech-based economy in the greater Cincinnati region of the Midwest of the United States. With a passion for entrepreneurship, Wendy is an angel investor, board director of Techstars, and has a deep experience of operating high-growth venture-backed startups. Prior to her role at Centrifuge, she served as CEO and executive chairman at Get Satisfaction, which was acquired in 2015. She's been honored as a woman of influence in both Silicon Valley and San Francisco. But I first saw Wendy speak when I was a new CEO with a startup business that was just starting to take off. And she and some of her equally amazing Silicon Valley friends came over to speak at a Girl Geeks event in Edinburgh. For the first time, I saw normal but brilliant women who'd scaled companies and had both high profile successes and high profile firings and it blew my mind. Suddenly, it all felt possible, as though if they could do it, so could I. I created this podcast because you can't be what you don't see and hear. Wendy's been a huge inspiration to me by being generously visible with her time. So welcome to the podcast, Wendy, and and please forgive me for being a bit starstruck to have you here. Oh, no worries. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, there's just one question this week because it's quite a big question that can take us to lots of places. And a founder has asked, I'm not sure if my startup is focused on the best market segment. We initially built a solution for people like us, students and recent graduates. But for our business to really scale, we need to look beyond this. Where and how do we start to move into market segments we don't understand yet? How do we know which makes the most commercial sense to focus on first? Where do we look to for help and advice, given that we've learned most of what we can from the people in our immediate world? So a pretty huge question and pretty much sums up all of startup life, I suspect. Um, But before we dive in, could you perhaps tell us a little bit about your journey and what makes you tick as an entrepreneur and activator, if if activator is even the right word? Yeah, sure. Um, So let me start with that. A, A little bit about me that will certainly inform the answer to the question from one of your students about what market to pursue. So um, I have been an entrepreneur uh, since 30, and uh, the time from college until 30, I was actually getting groomed by larger companies, uh, companies like General Foods and companies like Allstate Insurance Company. So, you know, girl from the deep south, not raised with entrepreneurial parents or with an intention of being a startup entrepreneur, really though, what always drove me, my North Star was to be independent. Mm -hmm. And independent to me did not look like financial independence, actually. It just meant think for myself, make choices, pursue choices, succeed, fail, learn, fail, succeed, learn, whatever pattern that happened. 
and make my own way in life. And it wasn't because my parents weren't awesome or my grandparents weren't awesome or I didn't have a right home or family environment. It was just my DNA to figure it out on my own. So since 30, um, I have been deeply involved in many different startups. Only one did I create a massive you know, financial return around. All of them, though, were just informed my knowledge and my skill and my overall experience and way of going forward, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful for that. And again, of all the startups I've invested in as an angel or operated as an interim CEO, only one was a big hit. Big hit meaning an exit that put real money in my bank. But all the others were equally important just because of what I learned. So I just, I'll put that out there. Um, and then the other thing I would say is, even though I have this deep Southern voice and accent, I've actually been very fortunate that I've lived around the world. And who, who knew that someone from Mississippi would have a chance to do that? So that exposure to different cultures, different countries, different ways of doing business, different consumer insights, that's also informed my entrepreneurial journey. So I've lived in three countries, five states. I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. This is my 34th address. And oh, wow. <laughs> 34th. That's amazing. Yes. And that's since graduating from college in 1975. So I'm, I'm not a kid. But even so, I, I want to make that as a statement because I think entrepreneurs who don't get a chance to roam the world, experience the world, dig into the world, even as it relates to the question I'm about to answer, I think, I mean, you can, you can access the world through Google. So that's awesome. When I was growing up, you didn't have that advantage. But I do think understanding global trends, macro trends do inform micro decisions around a business exercise. So that's that. Is that helpful? Oh, absolutely. Because I think what we're hearing is somebody who's trying to solve their own problem and their worldview is still young and their worldview is still narrow. So the fact that you've kind of been out there, seen all these different countries, worked with all these different startups, exposed yourself, not exposed yourself in, in, in the pornographic sense, but exposed yourself in the intellectual sense to kind of a whole bunch of stimulus must refine your judgment and must refine your instincts, I assume, for what, for what you now look at as something potentially interesting. Absolutely. And, you know, you kind of don't know what you don't know in the beginning. And even me, I mean, I was quite a late bloomer uh, relative to venture back startups. Um, I didn't do my first one of scale until I was 40. It was my 40th birthday to present to myself. So. Me either. So anyway, so I think let's get to the question because I want to make sure your, your particular student and your listeners um, have a chance to, to hear a point of view around this. I don't think it's the answer, but it's a point of view. I think, you know, isn't it interesting that when we're building a product or service, that oftentimes we're using as much our own instincts around us 
as the user as anything, right? I mean, both information and instincts and insights, but it is about us solving a problem that we've experienced and then we've decided, I'm talking about the company, we've decided that we're going to go and create a solution to the problem that we've experienced. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with starting there. And I'm, in fact, part of me would say, where else would you start? Because if you don't start with deep understanding of a problem, either that you've researched or that you've experienced, I, I think you don't have any passion about it. Yeah, or you're one of those solutions in search of a problem because, yeah, you're not a business. You're, you're a cool piece of tech. Absolutely support the the student, the person, the business person that brought this to you because first, let's say, yay, thanks for starting there. Otherwise, looking for a solution, you know, you're you're not really – you're not really business building with insight, with passion. But here's the truth. It, even with that, sometimes that's where you test out feature sets, test out usability, test out a hypothesis. So let's start at a high level. You're testing out a hypothesis around a market and a product. You're testing out features and benefits, you're testing out usability, all that's essential to business building. And then there's monetization. I would separate the two, frankly. I'm not talking as a VC or as a, you know, a Steve Blank expert, right? I mean, you know, I'm just talking as an entrepreneur, as a board member, as an angel, I wish I could go back years prior to now and ask better questions of the entrepreneur about the hypothesis of them pursuing the market at all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'd like to do that for myself for my last business and go, are you really sure this is the best market segment? Yeah. And and, and I think going long on that, going deep on that is exactly the right thing to do. Validating or invalidating a hypothesis around a market and a product, exactly the right thing to do. Documenting all your learnings as you're releasing features, testing out benefits with users is exactly the right thing to do. And then I think you get to a point, and I don't want to be scientific about it, is it 30 days, 60 days, one year? It probably depends on your team and runway, or runway can equal time you have to dedicate to the market and to the problem and to the service, or maybe money, or maybe a little bit of both, but you don't really know. I mean, if you built a plan to go test the hypothesis in 90 days, that's probably better than not know how long you have, but why wouldn't you do that? And then at the end of whatever time period you agree with your team or yourself, if you're a sole proprietor, is to say, okay, here's what I've learned. But I think people sometimes try to monetize 
before they validate or invalidate their hypothesis about a market and a product or service. What do you think about that? That's really interesting because I think you're right, but I think it could be either um, a misunderstanding or a misdirection in terms of what validation looks like, as though the, the purchase and the monetization is the proof point for validating the market. Like, can you get them to buy something, buy anything? Well, you know, I know, I look back at my last business and I know I made a mistake or I may, I didn't sufficiently understand my buying unit and that decision-making unit, but I could get them to buy something, anything. I could monetize it. I just couldn't monetize the bit that made a scalable business with what I had, what my proposition was. And actually, perhaps if I'd kept running that hypothesis across different discrete little buying units, I would have found a better segment and then I could have started testing what my price point was. By trying to do it all together, I think I actually invalidated my own experiment. Yeah, good point. I think that's very well said. I think buying is different than using. Yeah. (laughs) Because from buying... There is a business model, and that's, you know, is it freemium? Is it enterprise? How is it packaged? How is it priced? I mean, again, I'm speaking from um, problems I've created for myself, even when I was interim CEO or leading a company. I never really dug into that. I, I didn't really, frankly, understand the different phases of validating or invalidating hypothesis. I mean, I think I learned that later in life that, you know, I just felt like, you know, you were testing something. You were testing through a freemium model and then you would try to convert. So you were just putting a product or service out free, doing a lot of low cost marketing, and then you're trying to convert later. And I'm not saying that was wrong, but I'm, I'm thinking I should have just stayed more patient and more focused on what my original hypothesis was, or at least ask that of the team I was leading. I mean, I got excited, right? Because I'm very commercial. I could sell ice to Eskimos. So if team could build it and it was generally in a market that we understood, why not give it a go? That's that whole thing of fail fast, right? That's that whole thing of test a lot. So, again, there's a little bit of a paradox here, right? I think, again, hindsight's always so perfect. In the last couple of deals that I've led and invested in heavily, both time and money, I think I could have double-clicked a little bit more seriously into the beginning point. And even those customers that were using whatever we had free, I could have done more research into why they were instead of just do a freemium page in the, in the website and expect them to convert. And it's right. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> but testing feels so good, right? Testing feels like you've just, you've made like really serious progress as a CEO. It's like, yeah, you know, I've thrown this up there and we've, we've done work and we've gone fast. And now I have like this whole site up there and we've got 10,000 users signed up and this proves something. I know. And I did it too. I did it. Too. Yeah. And, um, 
And by the way, it doesn't even matter why I did. I had a sense of urgency. This was a business that was already in play. It was very high profile. And I said to myself, self, if you can't monetize all those free users, which were businesses, not consumers, I mean, come on, you're not worth your salt. So, but but it, it always, not always, I just think if I had stepped back and it, not forever, I'm not talking a year of reflection. Yep. I'm just talking iter- iteration, iteration of hypothesis, testing back to the hypothesis and not, you know, driving the whole dev team and the whole marketing team to build a good enough product, to launch a good enough website, to launch a good enough website on the on the pricing and packaging side. Uh, I mean, again, I think we should have done that. I just think we should have done that with a little bit more thinking and not feel like we were going to lose our seat on the bus if we didn't get out there first. Because I don't know in our case, I mean, I, I know that first, you know, first movers have an advantage. In our case, the market that we were pursuing was already very noisy. Mm-hmm. And the incumbents, the more traditional enterprise players, already had a strong lock on the market. So we deserve, we needed to think through the problem, the market more seriously. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes complete sense. It's kind of like, the first mover advantage, I, I personally think, is greatly exaggerated, the advantage of that, especially for a startup, because you spend so much money educating the market and educating everybody else around you that if somebody, just by pure maths of how much funding they have, if somebody comes behind you, better funded, they're just going to move past. Whereas if you're in that already noisy environment, especially enterprise, then you almost have got the luxury or the advantage of just digging a niche or digging out three niches and going deep, 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 deep and owning that specialism extremely well. By the end of my last business, I thought I'd made the mistake of trying to be a little bit great for everybody as opposed to absolutely amazingly awesome for one user group. And I sat at the end trying to rebuild that niche but if I'd done it at the beginning if I'd done it on paper if I'd done it in the first three months or two months or six weeks it would have saved a lot of time and money and a lot of build effort that eventually became demoralizing yeah I I totally agree so let me make a few points around that first of all the whole notion in a venture-backed startup or it could be bootstrapped it doesn't have to be venture-backed But all the rhetoric, all the blog content, all the smarty pants around the world who like to talk about product market fit, I mean, this is non-trivial. And this is more around a SaaS business, so forgive me. But you you can't really get to product market fit or market product fit unless you're pretty thoughtful. And I don't know that you just simply push, experiment, push again to really get to that traction. Let's use Evernote as an example. Um, And Evernote has been challenged in the last 24 months or so. But in the early days, 
they were very focused on product market fit and who converted and who didn't. And they were quite proud of people coming back to what was a free product at the time. Maybe it still is. And to, and, and they, and their product roadmap was built around that repeat usage. And I remember the CEO going around the world talking about it, about what he was finding. And it was kind of against um, the traditional means about a freemium model. Mm. And I mean, you can research this. There are many blogs about it because, again, he went around the world um, talking about it and, and trying to train the rest of us who were working a freemium model what the heck to do because we were, many of us were struggling and many of us were leaving free and going straight to enterprise instead of trying to really dig into the research required to understand how to convert. Mm. And enterprise comes with its own challenges. Yeah, it does. And and let's just say this. There are I'm going to end on this piece. There are so many assumptions that I as a as a CEO of a very hot high profile freemium um startup, venture-backed startup. There were so many assumptions I made. Good gosh. And because I wanted to execute. And let's talk about why I did. We needed to monetize. We needed to commercialize our product because I was already behind when we got, we were already behind when I got there. You know, I had to soft circle some money at the very end to even get, I mean, I, I was in the corner, back to the corner before I even started. But then I still chose to do it, right? So I can't be mad at anyone but me. But instead of really sitting with the founders and understanding their hypothesis and doing a lot of the why questioning and trying to really understand, I ended up skewing the product and our market motion more to enterprise simply because that's what I understood. And I thought I could get more from that market. Well, frankly, here's what happened. We didn't even get definitive with enterprise, problem number one. Number two, because there were many use cases. I had a marketing use case, I had a sales use case, and I had a service use case. I wasn't definitive, problem number one. Problem number two, I didn't really understand, this is the biggest problem, was the product even able to do that sustainably? Go to enterprise. That was a big problem. And and remember, I wasn't well capitalized. I didn't have a lot of runway. So I just, I mean, those are just a few things. I skewed what was going to be a consumer model to an enterprise model. I skewed it without a lot of thought. I skewed it with without a very specific use case. I skewed it towards hurry up got to commercialize, got to make money. I was more thinking about profitability than top line growth, which by the way, did not suit the investor profile that we had. I mean, I made so many mistakes. So the net is your students, I would just ask to, you know, crawl before you walk and walk before you run, which is not to say take too long because there is the right sense of urgency we should all carry, but I think it's a time to really think through what we're doing, for whom, 
and why that it might be valuable to them. And then, you know, do a lot of testing. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it seems like it's about now moving past what you know and trying to explore really quite um, systematically and quantifying it as best possible with real data as in you've really spoken to people and real data as in you've really done the math around how many of them there are to look at not just you you kind of say oh I went for enterprise well I kind of went like yeah enterprise retailers as though they're a homogenous group (laughs) as though you could ever understand enterprise retail as a buying unit no I mean even as I drilled down and down and down into that, you suddenly got characteristics of things that the job titles that this worked for and didn't work for, size of businesses that this worked and didn't work for, buying units, state of maturity. I mean, it, it took me years to realize the best prospects were prepping themselves up for sale. But that's a really deep knowledge. I think the student business that um, raised the question I think they have one of the challenges of, at the moment, they don't know enough about the wider business world and the different possible market segments. And they're going to need to expose themselves somehow to a network, whether that's through an accelerator, whether that's through getting out to events, whether that's kind of joining up with some communities to find exposure to different types of business and different types of people with experience, um, hopefully, I shall advise them on this, hopefully without giving away too many seats at the table in the process by thinking about this as a structured process of getting advice. One of the things I get asked by listeners all the time is for book recommendations. And I know when we were talking earlier, you had some very specific thoughts on this. Perhaps you could uh, share those as we come to a close. Yeah, I think Steve Blank, The Four Steps to the Epiphany, which was 2005. Mm-hmm. Or the Startup Owner's Manual, written in 2012, Steve Blank, B-L-A-N-K. He is the king of customer development. That's what he's known for. And had I even stopped for a minute to read or review that book, and it's a big book, right? It can be a little overwhelming to look at, but he details this in lots of step-by-step. And if there's any book that I think your, your, your students and your colleagues should read or have yeah. as reference, it's that one. No one does it better than Steve Blank. And that's so true because that's, I mean, people talk about the lean startup a lot, although that is starting to wane uh, in its appeal, as, certainly from the markets that I'm seeing. But that was all based on the four step to the epiphany. And Steve Blank has got some amazing resources out there, still like little videos where he, he's broken it all down, talking about different aspects of that book. It's, it's really worth pursuing, even though it's an older resource compared to some of the ones out there it is the one that the blueprint has kind of been based on i think there's no question there's no question and every time i'm with him which sadly is not often these days i learn every time either i you know something i know for sure gets pulled back to the front of my mind or there's a nuance that for whatever reason i missed as an entrepreneur right i mean So it's not just the one plus one equal two, although being reminded that there is a playbook is helpful. There are nuances to it. 
uh, to it meaning to a customer development methodology. And I think that's what you're talking about. I think when, when you hear a Mark Andreessen or a Ben Horowitz or any other high profile VC talk about product market fit, you need to come down the ladder and really get to the playbook of that and then realize that for your particular passion as an entrepreneur, you could have to nuance uh, Steve Blank's model a little bit, right? Based on the segment you want to serve and the capability you're building. So, you know, I, I, um, that, that's what I would say. And I, I really appreciate Vicki, you having me on your podcast. It's, it's great to reconnect with you. I have fond memories of when we were together in Edinburgh and meeting awesome groups of entrepreneurs. It was a, a real special treat. So it's good to hear your voice again. And thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for coming because, um, yeah, you transformed my thinking when I saw you speak because you made me realize that just because I, I think I lived in the highlands of Scotland at that time. I think I was up in Inverness, seriously far from anywhere. And it was like, wow, I can do this. And then when you were so kindly my guest when I was in San Francisco and we went to the British Consul and we, it was kind of like, I can do this. There are footsteps. I don't have to follow somebody's exact path, but there are people out there who've treaded this path before, and there's just a whole ton of learning you can reach out to and ask. And I never cease to be thrilled and proud of how open the entrepreneurial community across the world is to be asked a good question. So thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, you've been listening to Vicky Brock and Wendy Lee, this week's Entrepreneur Agniance, and you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or at vickybrock.com slash podcast. <laughs>